0: The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. So if you're new with us today, welcome. My name is Mark Nelson. I'm the Director of Worship Arts here at Mountain Park. And today, I'm also the preacher guy. That's right. For the next few minutes, we'll be spending some time together looking into God's Word and if you are new though I wanted to start by sharing a couple things about myself so we get to know each other a little better so today is April 14th and in exactly seven days it'll be April 21st now besides being in awe of my great math and calendar skills There's something more important about April 21st. On April 21st, my wife Michelle and I will celebrate 29 years of being married. So, it's pretty good. All that applause is for her. And to top that, we just got news a couple months ago that in mid-September, we'll be grandparents for the first time. That's right. First time grandparents. Which, of course, brings the question, what will the first grandchild call me? I mean, Director of Worship Arts at Mountain Park is a mouthful for a little one, so we're probably not going to go there. I thought, well, maybe my first name, Mark, they could call me Mark, but then I thought, well, wait a second, that sounds a lot like a dog barking. Mark, 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 mark. And I thought, well, that might be confusing. So I'm thinking too much, right? So then I thought, well, it's way too early for Gramps. I mean, tell me it's too early for Gramps. I just, I can't even imagine that one. So then I kind of landed on pawpaw, but now that I'm saying it in a room full of people, I'm not really certain that's where it's going to go. <laughs> but, uh, but I've got a little bit of time to figure it out, and, and you know, who knows what it'll be, but uh, I get t- uh, to think about that. So at the beginning of the year, we started on a year-long journey that we call the whole shebang, the pursuit of holiness. It's an exploration of God's story, and this year particularly, we're going after that topic of holiness. And we've defined that as being noticeably different. So we're looking at characters all the way through God's story and seeing how they were noticeably different by their practices and their interaction with their Heavenly Father. Last week, we started a new section called the Messiah, And in that, for the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring how Jesus was noticeably different. Last week, we learned that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And this week, we're going to talk about forgiveness. Let's pray. Holy Father, we see in your word and we know in our lives that you love and care for us and that you long to forgive us. Lord, Make your word new in our heart again today. Let us come to grips again with your incredible grace and mercy. Amen. So forgiveness is hard, right? It's not really our first thought when we're wronged. It just doesn't, it's not where you go to. When somebody does something that hurts you, you don't immediately think, oh, I'm going to forgive them. We actually kind of jump, our natural instinct is to jump to judging and condemning and not forgiving. So back in the fall of 1999, I bought a brand new car. A year 2000, model year 2000 Nissan Xterra. It was awesome. It was forest green. It had big tires and wheels. It was my first kind of off-road vehicle. Totally loved it. The second day I owned it, I was on McDowell Road, stopped at the light at 68th Street in Scottsdale. And in my rear view mirror, I looked up and saw the biggest, ugliest white truck ever screaming down the lane behind me. And I thought, I'm gonna get hit in my new truck. At the very last second, the driver slammed on the brakes, started to slide sideways, and instead of hitting me right in the rear of the truck, hit the right rear corner of my truck and pushed it into the intersection. Luckily, nobody hit me. I got out, surveyed the damage. I looked at the back corner of my truck. It was destroyed. I looked at his big, ugly white truck. (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Nothing had changed. Why is that? So I, I signed at the guy in the window. He didn't get out. I go, hey, look, let's go over here on 68th Street. We'll swap numbers and, you know, maybe call an officer if we need it. And he nods, so I get in my car, I pull into 68th Street, I park, I get out, I walk around, I look at my truck one more time, and out of the corner of my eye, I see that big, ugly, white truck fly through the light and head up the hill at McDowell. And I thought, well, if I run, maybe I can get the license plate. So I take off running for the corner, I'm waving my arms, I can't see the license plate, and I'm waving, and I'm screaming, and I'm yelling, wait, stop, I want to forgive you. Okay, so maybe I wasn't. No, what I was really doing, you know that first part in Genesis where God makes all the animals and he brings them in front of Adam to name them? That's what I was doing. I was thinking of names for that guy. I had a long list I was going through. So forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness was also a core part of Jesus' ministry here on earth. He talked about it everywhere he went, and everywhere he went, The religious leaders of the day struggled with his teaching. Early on, he was in a town. People were starting to just come to see him in droves. He was in a house. He was teaching. The Pharisees had come from all over to listen to his teaching. They weren't really sure what was happening. And in this town, there was a paralytic. And he'd been paralyzed, and he knew that if he could get in front of Jesus, he could get what he needed, He convinced four of his friends to carry him to where Jesus was. But when they got there, the house was too full. There was no way they were getting in. So his enterprising friends crawled up on the roof, hauled him up, moved the tiles, and lowered the man directly in front of Jesus. Seeing this, Jesus looked the man in the eyes, and he saw his separation from his Father in heaven. He saw the condemnation that this man lived under and he gave him what he needed. He looked him in the eye and he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. In that moment, I can imagine that a relief swelled through him because in that moment, he was no longer separated from his God. He was no longer just the paralytic. The Pharisees didn't look at it as a joyous moment. They said, blasphemy, who is this man that forgives sins? Only God in heaven can forgive that. Jesus, hearing their rumbling, says, why do you talk this way in your hearts? Why do you say these things? What is easier, for me to say your sins are forgiven, or for me to say, get up and walk? But just so you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, get up and walk. And the man did just that. And it says in Scripture that they were all astonished, as they should be. For the Pharisees could do neither. They had no answer for the paralytic. In their mind, righteousness was by their works. They were getting closer to God by what they did. Their sacrifice, their good deeds. They knew that this Paralytic was not close to God. It was obvious. Obviously, he had sinned or his parents had sinned. For some reason, he was broken. He was not close to God. That's what they thought in their head. So they couldn't forgive him, and they couldn't tell him to stand up and walk. They had nothing for him. They struggled with Jesus' teaching on forgiveness. But not just them. Jesus' own disciples struggled because... Jesus was teaching that not only is God wanting to forgive our sins so that we might be in relationship with him, he was also teaching that we had to forgive those that sinned against us. And whenever he taught about forgiveness, he taught that part too. And it was a struggle, particularly for Peter. Peter goes, I have to forgive my brother? How many times? Seven Seven seems good. Seemed like a gracious number, right? Your brother comes up. He does something to you seven times in a row. Seven times you forgive him. That should be enough, right? Jesus looks at him and he goes, no, Peter, no, 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 no. 77 times seven, Peter. 77 times seven. That's a big number for a fisherman. It's a big number for a fisherman to wrap his head around. So Jesus told a story. He said there was a king And the king called in his servants to settle accounts. And the first servant that came in owed him over a million dollars, and there was no way he was ever going to pay. And the king said, pay up. And the servant said, I I can't. And the king said, fine. Throw him in prison, take everything he owns, take his wife and his children, sell them into slavery, use the money to repay the debt. The man pleaded with the king, fell before his throne, and said, forgive me, I I promise I will pay you every penny Don't do this. The king had pity on him and let him go. The servant left, and in walking down the road, he saw a man who owed him $3. And he said to the man, pay me what you owe. And the man said, I can't. And the servant called the authorities and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay. So this man that had been forgiven a debt that he could have never paid back the very first thing he did was go and not forgive not extend that forgiveness to somebody that owed him just three dollars a very clear picture as God forgives us a debt we can never repay if we go and don't extend that same forgiveness to others we're making a tragic mistake God called the first servant back in the one that owed a million dollars and said I can't believe you did that and told the soldiers with him, to throw him into prison, and to torture him until he paid it all back. That's going to be a long time. And then Jesus told Peter, I tell you the truth, your heavenly, this is the way it is with your heavenly father, Peter, if you don't forgive your brother with your whole heart. Forgiveness is hard. Jesus knew we would struggle with forgiveness, and so when he taught us to pray, he taught us five simple things. Let's take a look at it together. It's in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. I'm going to put it up here on the board, too, because we're going to read this together. I'll give you a second. Matthew's one of the uh, Gospels about midway through, first Gospel. Chapter 6, right after chapter 5. It's trying to be helpful. Um, Verse 9, reading together. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. All of heaven and earth is filled with his glory. Glory and honor and praise to you, the only righteous king. And then it moves to asking God for his will, not my will, your will, Lord, to be done. I don't know. My will is not to be trusted, but your will. And Lord, establish your kingdom now. Establish your righteous kingdom in this place, in this moment. And it moves from that for a simple prayer for need. Not a long list of everything you could possibly want, but Lord, give me today what I need for today. No more, no less. And then forgiveness. Lord, forgive me my sins even as I forgive those that have sinned against me. Forgive me my sins, even as I forgive those that have sinned against me. And then it ends, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Lord, lead me in your righteous paths. Don't lead me in temptation. Keep me from the evil one. Protect me. Five simple things to pray, and to pray always. But he only explained one. Let's look at the next verse. Five things, five important concepts, but the only one he goes back and explains is forgiveness. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus taught us to pray, and he gave us these five things to pray about that we would pray and meditate on them always. And one of them is forgiveness. And not just to ask for forgiveness for your own sins, but a reminder to always extend that forgiveness to others. Forgiveness is a practice, it's something we're to do every day, something that we're to practice. Billy Graham once said, Man has two great spiritual needs. The first is for forgiveness, the second is for goodness. It is only by accepting our deep need for forgiveness and accepting God's forgiveness and then extending that forgiveness to another that we come to understand the depth of His goodness. We first have to acknowledge our need to be forgiven We have to accept that forgiveness, but then to even understand what it means, we have to give it away. And then we understand the depth of God's goodness. Not by doing it once, but by doing it over and over and over. I'm a musician. When I learn a new song, it takes me a while, even though I've been playing for 30 years. I have to learn the chords, I have to learn the rhythms, I have to learn the fingerings, and I practice and I work at it. And some people in the band will say, I still never ever really get it right but they're just picking on me. (laughs) And then after I learn the music, I have to learn the words, and I have to get the words into my heart, and then I learn the melodies, and then I put it all together, and I still practice and practice, and it's not till those mechanical things fall away that I can use that new song to express what's in my heart. Until I have it, Under my fingers, in my heart, I can't use it to express my heart. If we don't practice forgiveness, we can't express our faith. We can't understand the depth of God's mercy and his goodness. We have to practice it. Faith is a practice. Forgiveness is a practice. So, even though we're told all through Scripture That when we're forgiven, we must extend that forgiveness. Make no mistake. God longs to forgive you. God longs to redeem the lost. It is at the core of his heart. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories about God's heart for the lost. Let's take a look. This is later on in Jesus' ministry. We're in Luke chapter 15. Crowds are starting to follow him wherever he goes the crowds are always split into two groups. The sinners and tax collectors and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. Sinners and tax collectors listening intently, religious leaders of the day waiting for Jesus to make a mistake, to prove him wrong. The crowds are bigger and bigger every day. And on this occasion, Jesus tells three stories, and he kind of directs each one of them to a different crowd, although they have a little something for everybody. The first one's about agriculture. It's probably for the farmers that are out there. He says, "'Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep "'and loses one of them. "'Does he not leave the 99 in the open country "'and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? "'And when he finds it, "'he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. "'Then he calls his friends and neighbors together "'and says, "'Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. "'I tell you that in the same way "'there will be more rejoicing in heaven "'over one sinner who repents "'than over the 99 righteous persons "'who do not repent.'" So in this story, the folks that were familiar with agriculture and farming would understand, even though it seems a little odd for us that you'd leave 99 to go get one. The 99 in open territory could look after themselves for a moment, but that one that was lost was without hope. Jesus pursued him, the Father pursued him and brought him back on his shoulders. Now he tells a different story, maybe aimed at the tax collectors. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Over one sinner. The angels in heaven rejoice. God longs to extend forgiveness to each and every one of us. And then he longs for us to accept it and extend it to others around us to bring a little bit of his kingdom into the here and now. The next story told is a little bit more puzzling, a little bit more hard. It's a very popular story. Many of you have heard it. It's the the story of the prodigal son or the lost son. Let's dive in and take a look. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, when you think about this for a second and you think about the audience, this is going to be puzzling to them. This is the ultimate offense. Imagine your own son or daughter comes in right now and says, I know you're not dead yet, but I am so over you, had it up to here. One more lecture, Uh uh-uh. Give me my share of the estate now. Imagine your response. (laughs) Right? So even if I wanted to, I'm not leveraged that way. Cashing out would be hard today. So, but the father does something that's even a little bit more different. He doesn't just give the younger son his inheritance. He gives them both, everything he has. He gives the younger son what he asked for, and he gives the older son the inheritance too. Here. Not long after that, in verse 13, The younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So in my mind, as I think of this story, if it were happening today, somewhere near Ahwatukee, that distant land would be Mexico, right? He would have put everything in a big truck with a fifth wheel behind it and a sand rail and loaded up his friends and partied until it was all gone. And then finding himself somewhere deep in the wilds of Mexico, a famine hits. And even those who have little now have none. After the severe famine in the country, he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his body, his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So here he is, he has nothing, and now he's a Jewish man, he's tending pigs. That would have been highly offensive. The Jews wanted no association with pigs at all. They didn't eat them, they didn't go anywhere near them, they were considered to be unclean. And I've worked on a farm, I gotta tell you, they're pretty unclean. And if you're out there working with them every day, you're gonna be fairly unclean yourself. And here, there was no food for him, there was pods for the, the pigs, and that was it, and all of a sudden, he comes to his senses. Verse 17. How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death. I will set, out, set back and go back to my father and say, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he comes to the realization that all of a sudden, his father wasn't as shallow and mean as he thought he was. As a matter of fact, his hired men had more than enough food to spare, and here he was, and the person that hired him wouldn't even give him any food. So he decided, it came crystal clear, he decided to repent and not go back and ask to be the father's son, but to go back and to say, look, Just let me work for you. Just let me work for you. So he headed back. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's party. So as I think through this and I put myself in the middle of this story and I think of this very moment where the sun has come and asked for forgiveness, I have to be honest. At my house, before the party, there would have been at least a small lecture. And if by somehow I forgot to administer that lecture, my wife would have filled in for me. (laughs) And we might have made that lecture go on for quite a while. This is incredible, right? He gives the son his, his share of inheritance, everything he's earned on the planet. The son goes, and in a very short amount of time, spends it all, and the father, when he sees him, doesn't even wait runs and greets him and says come in he listens to the confession and he says no 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 you're not going to work for me you're my son bring sandals bring a robe bring a ring you're my son come and be fully restored that's god's heart for us when we're lost when we're in a foreign land god's heart is that we would be near him everything he has done he's done that he might have relationship with us his creation he sent his only son to die that we might be saved this is the father's heart it's hard though it's hard to have that kind of forgiveness there is another character in this story the older son now remember the older son got his share of the inheritance too. The father, when he handed it out, handed it out to both of them. The older son stayed though and worked. And when he hears the ruckus in the big house, he's like, what's going on? And a servant tells him, your brother has come home and the fa- your father has killed a fatted calf. And the son's like, Woohoo, yeah, no, no. No, that's not happening. Now think about this for a second. Where's the harm here to the older son? Older son's been there all along. Older son already received his share of the inheritance. The younger son can't take anything from him. No, it's just this idea that the father is lavishing love on this son that obviously fell so short. And this grates on the older son. He won't even come in. So his father went out in verse 28 and pleaded with him but he answered his father look all these years i've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders yet you never gave me even a young goat so i could celebrate with my friends but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home you kill the fatted calf for him so it's kind of interesting right the son the younger son went away spent all his money with his friends and partying and here what does the older son call out to the father you never threw a party for me and my friends he's hung up on this even though he was there the whole time even though he received his share of the inheritance even though everything is put in order for him even though he's there with the father he's not there some part of him is cold and hard but the father pursued him as well left the house left the party went outside and said to him hey come on in join the party and he closes by saying my son you always, you're always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And that, that is the way of it. When God extends his forgiveness to those that have fallen, sometimes it grates on us if we're honest. We all have that sense of rightness in us. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's not right. But God would have us overcome that and extend his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness to all who are in need. To the degree that he forgives our sins, we're to forgive the sins of others. Jesus used forgiveness as a central theme of his ministry and he practiced it in all things. He practiced it so much that it was second nature, first nature. So much so that at the end of his life, after he was beaten beyond recognition, dragged out of town and crucified. From the cross, he looked out and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. An innocent man Killed by the people who professed to love him. Wronged, so wronged. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And in his life and in his death, extended that forgiveness to all. Where are you at in that continuum of forgiveness? Are you off in a foreign land? Is the money running out? Maybe you have a relationship with God, and you understand that He's forgiving you, but it's not central to how you live your life, and extending that forgiveness to others is hard. Maybe you don't even know yet that you need forgiveness, but it might be hitting you in this moment. I'm going to ask the band to come back and play a couple songs and I'm going to give you guys a chance to respond. There are stations set up all around the room. There are places here at the cross where you can write down something that you want to be rid of and leave it there at the cross. There are candles to light. There are folks that will pray with you or anoint you for healing. There's communion in the back if you're a believer. I'd like to offer one other way of responding. My family and I do this oftentimes when we're here. If you're here with family or friends, feel free to gather and pray together right where you're at or to just listen to the music. But don't miss this chance to respond. Father God longs to be united with you. He sent His Son to pay for us, to give us a way home. This is your chance to respond. Let's pray. Lord it's so clear that you long to be near us and that you long to forgive us and Lord it's so clear that in order for us to even understand the depth of your goodness we have to practice forgiving others as well come now Lord by the power of your spirit heal us, touch us make us whole. Call us back to yourself. In Jesus' name. Amen.